Hey there, and thank you for listening to the Live Oak Church Podcast. We thank you for joining us today. The sermon notes are available on a PDF file at www.liveoakji.org. Here is Pastor Sean. As we are continuing our series going through uh, the book of Luke, and we're going to be here for a very, very, very long time. Uh, We're excited about that. Um, Getting to know kind of the story of Jesus and his ministry. And so we're in the uh, the second part of that. Uh, last, we finished up the origin story of Jesus last week, and Marty uh, brought an incredible message um, about the temptation of Jesus. And if you missed last week or if you missed that message, go, uh, go listen to it. You can go online, iTunes, Spotify, uh, and you can find our messages on there. Marty did a fantastic job uh, as Jesus was kind of um, finishing that phase of his ministry. And so now, um, this week, we begin kind of the next phase, the next story, if you will, called the first steps. This is the first steps of Jesus. And so we're going to be in um, chapter 4, starting with uh, verse 14. Uh, before we get to that, um, you know, beginnings are important. When I was in uh, college, when I was in seminary, whenever we uh, took classes on speeches or sermons or whatever, um, they always told us that how you start and how you finish are very important. Um, and that's that's true, because right now you're paying attention to me, and when I say, when you get the idea we're fixing to wrap up, you'll start paying attention again, it's usually around minute 17 that I lose you, you know, so uh, and so it's true that how you start and how you finish are very important. And so it's interesting when we find Jesus, when we see Jesus and how he began his ministry, that's what I'm fascinated about. Uh, and today we're going to kind of unpack what, uh, how he began, what was his first kind of message, you know, what did he come out of the gates with? Because he left this incredible, uh, incredibly trying time, this temptation, uh, this, this moment, this test in the wilderness, and, uh, and now he kind of begins. And so it's got this kind of, um, this cinema uh, quality to it. He comes off the mountain comes out of the wilderness, and here he is. And so in verse 14, we're going to jump right into it. Uh, Just two verses um, uh, kind of separates itself. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in the synagogues being glorified by all. All right, so before we jump into the rest, this is a very important thing. In most of your Bibles, it's segmented, just those two verses, Jesus begins his ministry. So he comes out of the wilderness. How does he come out of the wilderness? Uh, He comes out of the wilderness uh, in the power of the Spirit in Galilee. Once again, uh, Luke is demonstrating this idea of the, this Trinitarian view of God. There is God the Son, God the, the, the Father, and God the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is coming in the power of the Spirit of God. And so this is, this is extremely important for us to see how uh, this takes place. You know, so uh, after this journey, after this temptation, after this, this trial, he is empowered by the Spirit of God. And so he is not walking, uh, he is not walking under his own power. He's walking under the power of the Holy Spirit. And he comes down uh, to, the, to, um, to Galilee. And a report about him went throughout the entire country. You see, 
Jesus began teaching in the synagogues. Now, the synagogues are similar to our churches today. They were wherever. Basically, the only rule in a, in a community is there had to be at least 10 people to make a synagogue. And so often in towns, in cities, there were many synagogues, just like in, you know, uh, John's Island. There are many churches around, you know. And so Jesus went uh, to the churches. He basically went to all the churches and he began to teach. He began to preach and he taught in their synagogues. He taught in their churches and he was uh, glorified by all. People were astonished by what he was teaching. And I find it interesting that Luke begins his narrative about Jesus' ministry, not with miracles. He doesn't begin the, the, the narrative of Jesus' work, not by miracles, not by anything miraculous, but by his teaching, by his preaching. Jesus' words were profound. Jesus was popular because of his teaching. Jesus, as we'll find out, was unpopular because of his teaching. You see, I think that it's very important, and when I was studying this, I was kind of struck by this. As a preacher, how easy it is, or how, how, how easy it would be, or tempting it would be, to make sure that when I stand up here, could I say the things that would make me popular? Could I say the things that would that that would uh, that, that would get a, a a crowd going that would make everyone say Amen? You know, I mean, and, and and preachers, we have those in our back pocket. We can I can preach a sermon that just makes us all feel good and cozy inside. But a good preacher has that ability to to you know we, we want to say things that inspire you. I want to say things. I want when you leave Live Oak Church today, I want you to be inspired and closer to the Lord and ready to tackle this world for Jesus. Absolutely. But a preacher also has to be willing to say the things that hurt, has to be willing to say the things that are true, because truth sometimes is difficult. And Jesus was popular because of his teaching, but he was also unpopular because of his teaching. I mean, if I just got up here and started talking about, you know, uh, you know, football season, you know, pastors are real big, hey, you know, go Cox or go Tigers. And everyone's like, yay! You know, it's like, I don't care. I mean, and, and you know what? Here's a newsflash. God doesn't either, okay? He doesn't care. You know, it's like uh, about our football. It's Super Bowl Sunday. And, and, you know, God loves each and every one of us, but God's not kicking it in a recliner, eating hot wings, giving a flying fart about the Super Bowl tonight. That's not what he cares about. But we want to, you know, hip, hip, hurrah. We want to get to, and, and, and that's that's kind of, not you know uh, Jesus when he preached, he said thing he was popular because of his teaching, but he was also unpopular because of his teaching. So it says that he was preaching and he was going and he was glorified by all because of what he said. Then verse sixteen, and he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. This is his hometown, and he as was his custom, he went to the synagogue of the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, 
to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And so he was given, this is how it was done in the churches of the day. Uh, the, 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 the person, it was his turn to read, his turn to preach. They would give you the scroll. They would give you the, the, the scripture and you would read it. And then everyone would kind of sit down. You would sit down at that point and everyone would kind of chat about it. Uh, imagine if you would me reading the Bible, reading this verse, reading this chapter, so, um, the, this section, and then having a seat and then saying, so guys, what do you think? You know, I, I, I would give a little uh, message and then we'd all chat about what it meant and that kind of thing. Kind of similar to our life groups on, uh, th th that we do at, at homes. And so Jesus, he read this, um, this particular passage. This passage should be um, familiar to you uh, if you've been with Live Oak to, to, from the beginning. Isaiah 61 is where this comes from, and this is where we kind of, um, uh, th this was our, I don't know, our, our founding um, chapter here. This was the verse that, that, that the Lord led me uh, to when we came up with the name Live Oak Church because on in 61 verses 3 it says that they won't be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that they will be glorified. So this is a familiar verse to those of us who have been at Live Oak from the beginning. But this is the message of his ministry. This was where Jesus started. Again, it's important how you start. It's important how you end. I remember as we got ready to launch Live Oak Church, I spent a lot of time, a lot of prayer. Wow, what sermon series? How do you start a church? What sermon do you, what do you start with? I mean, I, I've been in the ministry for 20 years, and so I, I, it's not like I was new to preaching, but when you launch a church, what is going to be the first sermon? What is going to be the first series? What is going to be the first, how do you move forward out of this? And for us, I wanted to start with the gospel. And so we went through the, the, the Roman road to, to, uh, to talk through the gospel because I felt that was the most important thing we can ever hold fast to is the gospel of Jesus Christ, how to know that we were uh, in a relationship with Jesus. And so that's how we started. And so Jesus, what was his first message? What was, what was the topic? What was the, how was he setting himself up? And so let's look at it again. This is out of Isaiah 61. He read it and he said, I'm going to proclaim. God has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and set liberty to those who are oppressed. So basically four steps to Jesus' first sermon. And I want to unpack this real quick of what this meant to him and to those who read this at the time. So step one, or, or point one to his message, was to proclaim the gospel to the poor. Now, Luke has, um, uh, has a, a, a heart for the poor, and you'll see that um, thread throughout his account of Jesus. But when it's speaking to the poor, of course Jesus is talking about proclaiming the gospel to the poor, as in the, those who are in need physically, but really what they're talking, really what this is referring to is the poor in spirit. 
He's proclaiming the gospel to the poor in spirit. He's proclaiming the good news. He's proclaiming hope to those people who feel like they don't have hope. He's proclaiming the good news. He's proclaiming that now there is access to God when you felt like God was too far away. You see, you have to understand that the Jewish people had felt they, they were under the oppression of the Romans. It had been so long since they had seen the move of God in their lives. And so many have, of them had begun to lose hope. So many of them had become complacent. So many of them had just given up on the idea of God altogether. And he said, I am here to proclaim the gospel to the poor. I'm here to bring hope. I'm here to bring the good news to the poor in spirit, those who are lacking, those who are longing, those who are, are, are wanting, I want to make sure that they have good news, that they have hope. And guys, that's our message here at Live Oak, that we want to make sure that we bring the gospel to those who are poor. And I'm not talking about just those who are hungry. And I'm not talking about just those who are needing a coat on a cold day. I'm talking about those who are poor in spirit, those who are just plaguing our social media, those people who have just given up on life and they're just bitter and they're, ang- and they're anxious and they're, they're, they're longing for something. The good news, Jesus is here to give us the good news to the poor in spirit. Secondly, he said, I'm here. He has uh, sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. Liberty to the captives. And again, he's not talking about those who are in jail. He's not talking about those who are in, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, prison or anything like that. He's talking about those who are in the bondage of sin. Liberty, freedom from the bondage of sin. Those people who are stuck. Those people who are stuck in the spiral of sin. Those people who are, they, 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 they commit a sin, they feel guilty, that guilt causes them to internalize their pain, and then they sin again to cover up the guilt, and then they feel guilt because of that sin, and it's a spiral, it's a dark spiral that so many people get caught up in. And what Jesus is saying is, I'm here to give liberty for those who are captive, that those who are stuck, that those who are imprisoned by their sin. And so many people, not only outside there, but inside here, we're stuck with this, uh, we're stuck with this guilt. We're carrying this guilt because of the sin that we're feeling. We're carrying this guilt of sin. And we have people that, that, that are out there that, that you do life with, people, neighbors, people who you go to work with, people, who, friends and family members who are stuck in this cycle of sin. And they feel like that they're just too far gone. I've talked to people. I said, "Listen, I, I, you know, church just don't work for me, and the, the, it just this God thing it just doesn't work for me. I'm just too far gone." And that's such a lie, straight from the devil. Because God is so much bigger than any sin that you can be struggling with. God and His His grace and His love is so much stronger than anything you're struggling with. And there's so many of us that struggle. I I, I don't. I don't pretend, I spent 25 years in youth ministry. I don't pretend that now that I'm speaking primarily to adults, that you no longer struggle with the things that you did as a teenager. That there are plenty of adults that still struggle with 
pain, that still struggle with um, eating disorders, that still struggle with, you know, sexual sin, that still struggle with uh, uh, alcoholism, that struggle with addiction, that struggle with just pick your poison, pick the pain. And so many of us are just hiding that sin, and we're, we're hiding it away from our family. We're hiding it away from our friends, and you are stuck, and you're imprisoned, and you don't know how to get out. And Jesus is like, I'm here to set you free. You don't have to be in bondage with that sin any longer. And he goes on to say that he is here to recover of sight to the blind. In 2 Corinthians 4, 4, he says, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. You see, the enemy has blinded the minds. The enemy has blinded our minds. He, he has kept us from seeing. There's so many people out there, and you don't understand why in the world can they not see what they need. There's so many people, it's like they have a disease and the cure is right in front of them, and they won't simply grab the cure. It's right there. And we don't understand why so many people are willing to just walk beside, walk by the cure. They're willing to just walk in their, in their pain. They're willing to walk in their sin. They're willing to walk in their death. And she's like, I'm here to bring sight to the blind because the enemy has blinded us. The enemy has blinded us with all kinds of things. He's blinded us with uh, uh, trying to rationalize sin or, or justify sin normalize sin it's amazing how it's amazing how the enemy has chosen to blind us he doesn't hide the sin anymore that used to be how it was done you see, back in the day, a long time ago, in generations past, you see, sin was done in secret and in private, and we had those secret sins, and we, we, we would partake in those secret sins, and then we would feel guilty, and, and the enemy would use that guilt to spiral us into more sin. But now, he's chosen a different tactic you see, sin is now normalized and everywhere to where now the truth is hidden because we can't see it anymore. It's so crowded in sin, we cannot see the truth. I'm going to get in trouble with this one probably, but I won't say it anyway. Um... I don't, I, I, you know, th this isn't political, and I, I, I don't want to get off on, on, you know, endorsing or not endorsing or anything like that. But Audrey and I were watching; it was on Netflix. Um, this thing on Taylor Swift, um, and it was a documentary on her life. And I, don't, I like her music. I'm sorry, you know, I, I'll, I'll repent for that now. Um, but you know, it, it's just fun music. You know, it's like you know, I hate Taylor Swift. It's like that's because you're miserable. It's just fun. You know, it's like, you know, it, it's that kind of music. Um, but. I, I, so we were watching it, 
And I just noticed a progression in this documentary. And she started off as this young girl, and she was raised by Christian parents, and she had this great uh, mindset. She was living for the right things. And as her life continued to progress, the world infiltrated more and more into her spirit. And she decided to take a stand, and she she said, I'm going to take a stand. As a matter of fact, she said, it's not a direct quote, but basically she had to unlearn everything she had learned as a young person. And that she wanted to finally take a stand. And the things she was taking a stand for were completely contrary to the things of God. And she said, I, I, I think it's time for me to, 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 to share my platform, to, 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 you know, to, to get this word out. And it was like, it, it broke my heart. I'm like, if this young girl would have just said, done the same thing and said, you know what, it's not popular, but I am going to tell you that Jesus is the only way. You guys are searching for hope. You're searching for love. You're searching for all of this, but I'm telling you, Jesus is the only way. Instead, as you saw the interviews progress through her life, the prayers were replaced with propaganda her praises were replaced with curses and it broke my heart sitting there looking at this this progression and this what has gone on with this young lady and I began thinking about this this is the tactic of the enemy that he blinds us from the truth by, by normalizing sin that which is evil is now considered good, and that which is good is now considered evil. And so Jesus said, I've come to open the eyes, bring sight to the blind, because the enemy has blinded us. And then he said, step four was to bring liberty to the oppressed, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. I began to just do a word study on oppressed. What does that mean? When the Jewish people heard this at the time, they were like, yes, absolutely, because they were looking for the next David. They were looking for the next David. They were looking for the next king that would tell all of these non-Jewish people that would defeat these other kings, that would defeat these other countries, and would make Israel rise up to be a superpower once again. And so when he said this, when he said that I will bring liberty for those who are oppressed, they're like, yes! <coughs> Finally, someone to, to get these Romans. Finally, someone is going to get these Romans. These people who have held us under their thumb, they're going to get it. But that wasn't Jesus' story. That wasn't Jesus' purpose. That wasn't what he was referring to. The oppression was not the oppression from the Romans. The oppression was from those that the word means broken. The word means broken liberty, freedom to those who are broken. And I think about the people who who may come to church on a Sunday morning and they're at the last, they're, they're holding on to the last rung. They're holding on to the last knot, the, the end of the rope. There's no more rope. And they're coming in saying, this is it. 
if I can't find anything now, I'm done. And people out there, they are just broken. They're just done. They just have nothing. Their hearts are broken. Their lives are broken. They're in despair. And they have no idea where they can find hope. They have no idea where they can find love. They have no idea where they can find purpose. And Jesus said, I'm here to bring freedom to the broken, to those who are marginalized, to those who feel that they can't go on. There have been so many people in my life, in my career uh, as a pastor that I've, that I've talked to, whether they are on the brink of suicide or they have um, struggled with thoughts of suicide, and it breaks my heart. And, and the, the only thing that I can pray, the only thing I can try to get them to understand is the, the freedom, the liberty of Christ that brings that freedom, that brings that love, that brings that purpose into their being. That joy, that hope that comes from the Spirit of God. So Jesus, his message was to proclaim the gospel to the poor. To set free the captives from those who are, in, who are in bondage of sin. To bring sight to the blind. And to set free the oppressed. And it says in verse 20, he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of them in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Verse 22, and all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, doubtless, you will quote to me this proverb. Physician, heal thyself. What we have heard you, what we have heard you did at Capernaum, you do here as well in your hometown. And he said, truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up for three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha. And none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. And when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. So Jesus... He closes the text, and he says, this is fulfilled in your midst. And, the, and all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words, and they were looking at him. No, uh, verse 20, I'm sorry. And the eyes of the synagogue were fixed on him. I looked at that, that passage and I thought that was strange because he was reading the text 
and we see where he read up to 19, and, and they, they, it's like their eyes were on him, and I was like, well, that's weird, until I looked back at Isaiah in the verses that he read, and this is why. Because he stopped short. In Isaiah 61, verse 2, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and that's where he stopped, but there's still some more of the verse. And the day of vengeance of God, our God, to comfort those who mourn. Because they were like, you know, they're listening to the hymn read, and then they're like, and? But you see, he, he stopped there because that isn't what he was here to do yet. He stopped at 61.2a because his job on earth is to do all of what he read. 62b is coming later. 62b is how he's going to finish the story. 62a is how he's starting the story. This is how he starts his message. 62b is how he finishes. That's when the vengeance comes. That's when the judgment comes. But right now, he rolls up the scroll and says, for right now, this is what I'm here to do. And so they, they immediately, they start saying, okay, what's going on here? And, and, and so there's three, there's three reactions to his, to his message. The response is disbelief. The response is, again, this is his hometown, and he, says, he reads this, and he says, basically, that guy that Isaiah is referring to, the Messiah, I am the one who is reading this. It's me. I'm the one. And immediately, everyone's going, they're looking around, they're looking at him, and, and it's taking some time to process. Imagine you're in a Bible study, and someone's reading in the Bible study, and they make the claim that, oh, by the way, I am the second coming of Christ. It's going to take you some moments to process that before it gets into your spirit. It's not like you go, oh, okay, no, no, no. It, it, that's a bold claim. It takes some moments to, to work in there. And so he says it. And then they're like, what? What did he just say? That's Joseph's boy. My kid, they, my, my, my son and him, they used to play together. They went to preschool together. Jo he's the, he helps the carpenter. His dad made my shelf. You know, that, that, and that's what they're going. They're like, <coughs> excuse me, they're like, no way. So immediately there's uh, the, 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 the response is disbelief. <coughs> and then it goes into rebuke. Jesus goes on to tell them these stories, these two other stories about Elijah and Elisha. And what's remarkable about that, what ticked them off is how God used or God blessed someone that was not Jewish. Naaman the Syrian. You see, when he made the claim about himself, they just started questioning his sanity. Now, all of a sudden, he's saying, not only am I not accepted in my hometown, you guys were never going to accept me. But let me tell you, this isn't the first time God's worked this way. And he says, listen, God will use people other than you to accomplish his will. 
And that got them angry. When he started questioning the process, when he started questioning the religious establishment, that's what got them angry. When all of a sudden he's saying, listen, I am here to do these things because you wouldn't. That's what got them going, oh, heck no, you didn't. They started questioning the entire structure of how they did things. I remember being a youth pastor in a church in Columbus, Georgia. And we, um, it was a nice-sized church, a nice small, typical, smallish Southern Baptist church. And there's only one mega church in Columbus, Georgia, and it's Cascade Hills Church. And they were technically a Southern Baptist church, but they were kind of like us. They didn't call themselves Southern Baptists. Uh, they were the first mega church in the area. And they built their campus literally behind our church. Their big honking sanctuary cast a shadow right on our property. And boy, my pastor was mad. Ooh, that was like, you know, that was just a slap in his face. And so we brought a guy back in the day who used to have revivals. And we brought this revivalist in, and he would come in. He was a shouting preacher, and oh, Lord, you know, and stomp and shout and everything. Oh, and everyone's trying to get saved and all this kind of stuff. And I'll never forget, we took him to dinner after the, the first night of revival. And we were at Country's Barbecue. If you ever go to Columbus, Georgia, oh, it's glory. So you go to Country's Barbecue. And we're sitting there, and the pastor started talking junk about this church, Cascade Hills, that built their sanctuary right next to us. Can you believe the audacity? And that revivalist looked at him and looked at me and said, if you had been doing your job, he wouldn't have to. And I was like, I'm just a youth guy. (laughs) He's like, if you guys would have been doing your job, there'd be no place, no space for them. That was profound, and it hurt. And it was like, it stung. It's like, wait a minute, we're paying you, brother. I mean, it's like, you're supposed to be saying nice stuff to us. But but I, I thought, I, when I was doing this, I, I thought about this and how it, you know, Jesus came and is like, listen, uh, you're, of course you're not going to believe me. I grew up around you. Of course you're not going to accept me. I'm from your hometown. But listen, this isn't the first time that, 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 and you know, there were lepers in Israel in the time of Elisha, and none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. It was Syrian who was cleansed. It was not a Jew. It was not a person. It was not, this is not set up. God is not always doing things the way you're expecting them to happen. And Jesus said, listen, this is time. This is a new day. I am here. And he finishes off in verse 19 to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This was no small thing. When they heard this idea, the proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor, this was an idea in the Old Testament. It was called the year of Jubilee. And the year of Jubilee was a time where your debts were canceled. When you came before your debtors and they would cancel your debt and you would become free, you were free from all of the debt, all the weight, wouldn't you love a year of Jubilee? I'm surprised that that's one thing that that Bernie Sanders has not offered yet. 
he might actually get a few of the clueless Christian folks that, I declare a year of Jubilee, all deaths are canceled. You know, I mean, uh, that, that's the one thing that Democrats haven't suggested yet. But wouldn't that be great? If you could take all your debts, your student loans, your mortgages, your car debts, your medical payments, and you just put it all out there. And they said, forgiven. Oh, hallelujah. You want to talk revival, huh? My gosh, that'd be amazing. You know, but that Jesus said, I've come to proclaim a year of the Lord's favor. This is a year of jubilee. And so what Jesus is saying is, listen, I'm not here to, to, to cancel your financial debts. I'm not here to take away your mortgage. I'm not here to take away your hospital bills. But I'm here to cancel all your sin debt. All of the sin debt that is weighing you down, I'm here to say it is paid in full. That's what Jesus was here to do. He's saying here, the year of the Lord's favor. This is answered in your hearing. And the Jewish people went nuts. The Pharisees went crazy. They're like, no, 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 no. And so they, what are they going to do? They took him. Their plan was to kill him. So they took him to the edge of the mountain and they said, all right, we're just going to take care of this. And that's all it says. And we don't understand what happened. We're somewhere between them taking him to the edge of the cliff and throwing him over. Something happened. Because it says, but passing through their midst, he went away. I have no idea. I have no idea what happened other than the power of the Holy Spirit just moving in the hearts of those people and them saying, just taking their hands off. I have no, I would love to know what that scene looks like. I would love to see as they, this crowd, this mob is taking Jesus right to the edge. And then suddenly nothing happening and him just walking, not around, not sneaking away, walking through the crowd. There's a really horrible movie you shouldn't watch, but it's awesome. Um, it, it's from the, the, the 90s. It's uh, Tombstone. Uh, anybody, Tombstone fans, any westerns or whatever? Um, it's about Wyatt Earp. And um, it, it's horribly inaccurate historically, but it's just a great guy's movie. It's just fantastic lines throughout the whole thing. And so this was the part of um, the, the, the showdown of the OK Corral. And so the, the, the sheriff comes up to Wyatt Earp and says, you're under arrest. And Wyatt Earp has this incredible macho line. It's awesome. I don't think I'm going to let you arrest me today, sheriff. And he just walks right by him. And I look, oh, that's kind of... That's kind of what I'm, that's kind of the scene. It's like Jesus is right there to the edge and he just kind of looks at him and looks him in the eye and says, no, not today. And he just walks right through him. I think it's, I don't know. So where do we go with this? Jesus was rejected in his hometown. Jesus was rejected by his teaching. He was rejected by the very message that he came to preach. As we're going to find out, he becomes very popular because of his message, but he also becomes very unpopular because of his message. But what do we do with this? Me, 
I didn't want to concentrate on the rejection. I didn't want to concentrate on what his hometown thought about him. I wanted to concentrate on Jesus' first sermon recorded. Because it's important. And so what are we going to do? I think we have to embrace the message and the person of Jesus Christ. You see, when, when we say, when you hear preachers say, listen, I want you to hear the gospel, a lot of times we either cl- you check out because you're like, I've been saved since I was 16. I don't need to hear the gospel again. Can I just say to you that everyone needs the gospel every day? We all need to be reminded about what Jesus did for us. Because it's not simply salvation from sin, salvation from hell. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ that gives us hope. So maybe today, maybe today we need to proclaim or personalize the gospel. Maybe you have never surrendered your life and accepted the good news of Jesus Christ. What is that gospel? The gospel is the fact that you you are so you're a sinner. And you have no access to God because of your sin. And sin separates us from God. Jesus died sinless, took on our sin debt. And so those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so maybe you need to either proclaim the gospel, and that is start sharing the gospel, or you need to personalize the gospel, you need to make it yours. If you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, you need to do that today. If you have, you need to start proclaiming the gospel. Maybe you need to break the shackles of sin. Maybe there's a sin you're struggling with. A recurring sin in your heart, a recurring sin, a behavior that you can't seem to break. Maybe you need to go to the Lord and you need to break, have him break those shackles. Number three, maybe you need to allow the Lord to open your eyes. In that documentary last night Taylor Swift was proclaiming sin by saying those are by saying these are Tennessee Christian values and it was completely opposite of what the Lord proclaims she her eyes are closed her eyes are blinded maybe we need to pray for our eyes to be opened to sin and to God. And then finally, maybe you're here and you need to open your broken heart. You've been hurt. You've been carrying pain around. You've been carrying something that was done to you, something that was depression or anger or frustration or anxiety and you're just carrying this around and maybe here today you need to open your heart to him. When I think of that first message of Christ as he shared 
Isaiah 61. It's a profound scripture. That's why we used it at the beginning, uh, towards the end of last year, to proclaim kind of what we're going to stand for in 2020. It's a profound scripture. And as Jesus shared this passage in Isaiah, it was just, it's full of hope and full of love and full of promise. And then for Jesus to roll up the scroll and say, this is me. This is me. Guys, that's profound. That's amazing. That's a, it's, it's in their day controversial, but in our day, vital. It is vital. This is the core thing. If we don't get this, then what's the point of being a church? If we don't get this, what's the point of Live Oak Church even existing if we can't understand that Jesus is the way to bring liberty, to bring hope, to bring peace, to bring love? This is why we exist. And so we're going to close in just a second. And I just want to pray. On your ministry guide there, at the bottom, it says, what am I supposed to do? What do I do with this word today? And, and I just want you to, to think about what, what of those four things do you need to address? What are those four things that you need to take care of? I promise you there's something there that you need to handle. And so I just encourage you to do that today. And so Marty's going to come up and just kind of play a little bit. And I'm going to pray and just focus us for a minute. And then I just want to... Uh, just have a moment. If you need to come and to pray, uh, I want to be here available with you to pray for you, to pray with you. Um, pray right there uh, at your pews. Um, uh, these aren't comfy. Uh, we probably need some pads up here or whatever. If you want to just come up and kneel at the altar. Um, the altar is called the altar because that's a place of sacrifice. If you just want to come up and, and kneel and pray, then feel free to do so. But let this just be a time of response. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this day. And God, I do ask, Holy Spirit of God, that you would move in this place. Holy Spirit, move in our hearts. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the freedom that you give. Lord, I just ask that you would encourage all of us to take a step, to take a step forward. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to Live Oak Church Podcast. Please consider partnering with us or signing up for our newsletter by going to liveoakji.org. Have a great week and remember to love God, love people, and live boldly.